You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 530 of this podcast. Today is January 4th, 2023. And boy, does it sound weird still. It sounds weird. I'm actually doing a much better job so far this year in writing the correct date uh, in my personal organizer. I'm doing a much better job than I have some years. I don't know if other people struggle with this the way that I typically do, but for the first couple of weeks even of the new year, I'm still writing down last year's date and... This year, I'm actually doing really well. Four days in, I don't think I've written down 2022 even once. I was ready to move on to 2023, looking forward to it. But in this episode, we're going to talk through various things that, uh, you know, they carry through. They, They carry forward, even though it's a new year. It doesn't mean we've got a clean break from last year. And so we're going to be talking about vaccination and some polling of uh, Americans regarding vaccination causing unexplained deaths. And you might be surprised by some of what we find out there. Uh, Also, the latest installment, the 11th installment, as well as the 12th of the Twitter files, that we will get into. And then lastly, speaking of COVID and uh, (laughs) misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, supposedly, allegedly, what China is threatening if countries require COVID testing for travelers from China to their countries, all of that and more. But before we get into the COVID business, I want to read for you Proverbs 18 and talk a bit about the voting for who's going to be the Speaker of the House of Representatives for the United States Congress. First off, let's read Proverbs 18, starting from the top, verse 1 in the ESV. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels that go down into the inner parts of the body. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. A man's spirit will endure sickness, 
but a crushed spirit who can bear. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from Yahweh. The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen. Amen. Very chock full, Proverbs 18 is very chock full of wise advice, wise counsel, wise observations and insights. If you want to be wise, meditate on Proverbs 18 because there's a lot here. And it might seem at first blush as though these things just don't go together. It's just random sayings of the wise. So what? So what? Uh, Think of it like a buffet and you can take what you need for a particular situation that you're dealing with in life and it might just help you to unlock a better way of relating, especially here in the new year. Now is a good time to be rethinking the way that you interact with the people around you, the way that you make decisions, the way that you converse, the way you build relationships, the way you plan, the way you work, et cetera, et cetera. It's wise to reflect on how you go about doing these things and what your premises are, what your assumptions are. Before you go reinventing the wheel, why not listen to the sayings of the wise and consider them and then figure out what to do if you're not sure. Or if what you have been so sure of has not been working out so well, give it another look after having read Proverbs 18. That would be my counsel. And it's amazing to me because sometimes I remember passages that I've memorized over the years from Proverbs, for instance, Proverbs 18, for instance. I remember the particular proverb, but I don't necessarily remember where it's at. I don't remember the reference easily. And so I have to look it up. And that might be part of the reason why I don't remember is because my brain just tells itself, hey, we don't need to remember this because he'll just look it up. Don't worry about it. But the Proverbs themselves, there are so many of them that are here packed into the 18th chapter. There's so many of them that are uh, just fantastic. For instance, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That is so true. That is so true. It is foolish to only concern yourself with stating your opinion, but to not want to know wisdom to not want to understand, but just to talk, just to say, here's what I think. Let me tell you what I think, but you really haven't considered it and you don't want the truth. You just want to be important to other people. That's not wise. That is not a good idea. You will embarrass yourself. You will get attention, but it will not be the kind of attention that you want. You'll get a bad kind of attention. You'll be laughed at. You'll be thought less of, and people won't want to be uh, your friend or business partner. By contrast, by contrast, 
The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. I was just talking about this the other day. I was just talking about this. And here it is. The name of Yahweh is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Even just God's name, just a call on his name is like running into a strong tower where you are going to be safe. If someone is chasing you, pursuing you, threatening you, wanting to do you harm or kill you, and you run into a strong tower and lock the door behind you, you are safe. That's what it's like when you are calling on the name of Yahweh, not in vain, but in reverence. Also, too, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. This does not mean that you should not ever believe someone when you happen to hear their side of the story first. It doesn't mean write them off. It doesn't mean dismiss them. And it also doesn't mean that if two conflicting stories come to you, you just shrug and say, oh, who can know, right? Everyone's right. Everyone's wrong. Who can know? No, no. You dig in with full knowledge that you may need to get the rest of the story from the other guy, but not everybody is lying if there's a contradiction necessarily. And so don't just believe everything that you hear. Go and double check. Go and find out. Go ask the other person. Make sure you establish what is true by consulting people who are trustworthy, reputable, and uh, reliable, basically. Also, too, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits. If you love life, well, then you will eat the fruits of life. You will say true things and good things and beautiful things, and you will work on trying to say them better and better and more skillfully. A word fitly spoken, it says elsewhere, is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. A word fitly spoken does not just come on its own. You have to be intentional about it. You have to take care and watch what you say because life and death, death and life are both alike in the power of the tongue. What we say is extraordinarily important and powerful either for good or for evil. And we need to know that. We need to be intentional about it accordingly. Also too, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. This is uh, one of my chapter titles. Actually, it's the next one coming up that I need to write for my book. And this is why we got married, which is part of my goal for the first quarter of 2023 to finish it up, to finish writing it. I have a couple of sections left to go, section four and section five left to write. But the next chapter in section four, which I need to start here this week, is he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Here in the Proverbs, we see that told to us. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from Yahweh. And then lastly, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And what is this speaking to? This is speaking to not necessarily you being (laughs) somebody who should avoid having lots of friends, recognize if it seems like you have a lot of friends, you might not actually have so many friends. You might have a lot of hangers on who just like being associated with you because of what it benefits them. And they're not actually going to stick by you. If you're in trouble, they're not going to come through for you. They do favors to you and they look out for you and they flatter you. But if trouble comes, they're gone. They are going to leave you high and dry for somebody else 
who they think they can get more advantage by being associated with. By contrast, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes brothers don't get along, and sometimes they offend one another. And when they offend one another, sometimes they are, as it says, more unyielding than a strong city. (laughs) More unyielding than a strong city. Brothers who are at odds with each other are stubborn as can be, as a rule, typically, when they are fighting, they are just darn determined. I am not going to see your side of it, and I'm not going to give in and just let you have your way. Absolutely not. We are equals, and I will be regarded as an equal, if not getting the upper hand. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, which is to say, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, if they're offended, they are going to set that aside, even if it costs them because they genuinely care about this other person and what happens to them and their well-being and what's in their best interest. Pick carefully who your friends are. That's what the point is. The point is don't necessarily have lots and lots and lots of friends and just be you know, comforted by being popular. Pick carefully who you get close to because if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future as the saying goes. But enough about Proverbs 18 for right now. Lots here for you to uh, meditate on, for me to meditate on, for us to be wiser as a result of. I want to talk about the (laughs) uh, historic repeat votes for who will be the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Republicans, as you may know, have retaken the House of Representatives from the Democrats. That means a new Speaker of the House should be Uh, voted on. And the leading candidate was Kevin McCarthy and probably still is Republican from California. But some have strong objections to Kevin McCarthy, including Representative Matt Gates from Florida. I want you to take a listen to Matt Gates's effort, his speech from the House floor opposing Kevin McCarthy. This is going to be a few minutes long, but take a listen. And then I want to play some audio from the person Gates is recommending and nominating and voting for instead of Kevin McCarthy. Here you go from Breitbart. Take a listen. I rise to nominate the most talented, hardest working member of the Republican conference who just gave a speech with more vision than we have ever heard from the alternative, I'm nominating Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is humble, perhaps today humble to a fault, maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who wants it so bad. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who has sold shares of themselves for more than a decade to get it. Maybe Jim Jordan is the right person for Speaker of the House because he is not beholden to the lobbyists and special interests who have corrupted this place and corrupted this nation under the leadership of both Republicans and Democrats. Maybe Jim Jordan would be the right person for Speaker of the House because he wouldn't fight us when we try to get a term limits bill on the floor. Maybe Jim Jordan would be the right person because he wouldn't fight us when we try to put a balanced budget on the floor and vote for it. And maybe Jim Jordan is the right person because he would endorse the plan that was built by the Texas delegation to finally secure our border. 
Mr. Jordan said in his nomination that there are certain bills that we have to pass to fix the problem. The challenge is the alternative has been someone voting for the very bills that have caused these problems. Mr. Jordan says that we cannot accept legislation like the omnibus, and I fully agree. And if Jim Jordan were Speaker of the House, if he were the leader of the Republican team, we wouldn't have that circumstance choking the economy of our country, increasing inflation, and diminishing the prospects of a better life for our fellow Americans. And finally, Mr. Jordan said we must engage in rigorous oversight. Every one of my Republican colleagues knows that the person who can lead that oversight effort, who works on it every day, who has the skill and the talent and the will, is Jim Jordan. I'm nominating him, and I'm voting for him. Okay, so that was Matt Gates from Florida, representative, congressman from Florida, on the House floor, Yesterday, Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023, opposing strongly, in very forceful language, the uh, choice of Kevin McCarthy for the reasons he stated. Now, very curiously, and this is, I think, audio from before Matt Gates uh, went to the floor to give his speech. This is some audio from before that, which he alludes to in saying that Jim Jordan from Ohio is perhaps being too humble in declining or in encouraging others to vote for Kevin McCarthy from California instead of himself. Take a listen. Here is Jim Jordan, congressman from Ohio. For what purpose does the gentleman from Ohio seek recognition? I rise to nominate Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. Gentleman is recognized. Uh, thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, I think we have three objectives this Congress, three fundamental things we have to get done in the 118th Congress. First, pass the bills that fix the problems. In two years' time, we have, went, we, we have a border that is no longer a border. We have a military that can't meet its recruitment goals. We have bad energy policy, bad education policy, record spending, record inflation, record debt, and a government that has been weaponized against we the people, against the very people we represent. So we, we need to pass legislation to address all that. And I hope my Democrat colleagues will join me. I really do. But I have my doubts. And if they don't, and if Chuck Schumer says, no, we're not going to take up that legislation that we pass, and if Joe Biden won't sign it, so be it. They'll have to, they'll have to answer to the people in 2024. Second, second, we can never, ever let a bill like the one that passed 12 days ago, $1.7 trillion spent, we can never, ever let that kind of legislation pass again. We, We have, to, we have to pass a budget that makes sense, that's good common sense, then do the 12 appropriation bills that, that, are, that recognize it's the people's money, not ours, and send it to the Senate, and then stand firm on that legislation. And again, if they won't take it up, and Joe Biden won't sign it, 
We can stand firm on a CR or something. We can have that fight, but we are not going to have what took place a week and a half ago ever happen again. And then finally, third, and this is important, we got to do the oversight, well, the do House the investigations. We have to do the oversight and the investigations that need to be done. This idea that bureaucrats who never put their name on a ballot but think they run the country, who have assaulted our constituents' First Amendment liberties, they need to be held accountable. That has to happen. We need to do it. We need to do it in a way that's consistent with the Constitution, but we need to do it vigorously and aggressively. That is part of our duty as members of this body. To my friends here on this side of the aisle, I would just say this. The differences we may have, the differences between Joyce and Jordan or Biggs and Bacon, they pale in comparison to the differences between us and the left, which now unfortunately controls the other party. So we had better... We had better come together and fight for these key things, these three things. That's, that's what the people want us to do. And I think Kevin McCarthy is the right guy to lead us. I really do, or I wouldn't be standing up here giving this speech. I, I came in with Kevin. We came in the same time 16 years ago. We haven't always agreed on everything, but I like his fight. I like his tenacity, and I like the... I remember Kevin told me, I actually wrote about this in a book. I remember Kevin told me, he said, when the, the toughest times in life are when you get knocked down... The question is, can you come back? And I've always seen him be able to do that. We need to rally around him, come together, and deal with these three things. Because this is what the people sent us here to do. My favorite scripture verse is 2 Timothy 4, 7. Paul's the old guy giving advice to the young guy. And he says, fight the good fight, finish the course, keep the faith. I like the verse because it's a verse of action. Fight, finish, keep. Not wimpy words. Words that I think fit America. That's what the American people want us to do. They want us to fight for the things they care about and they elected us to do. And we should all remember, we should all remember, only about 12,000 people have ever had the opportunity to do what we're doing today, sit in this body, serve in this Congress. It is a privilege. It is an opportunity. We owe it to them, the American people, the good people of this great country, to step forward, to come together Get a speaker elected so we can address these three things. I hope you'll vote for Kevin McCarthy, and that's why I'm proud to nominate him for Speaker of the House. All right. So what's going on here? (laughs) I don't fully know. What I do know is that Jim Jordan from Ohio has been very involved in looking into irregularities. And from what I hear him saying, he has the right instincts. He has the right principles. Now, if there's something else going on, I I don't know. Why is he nominating somebody else? Well, for one thing, because he might be saying, Kevin McCarthy, where we disagree, it's non-essential. Where we agree, I trust him. And it would be better for the big picture if we are a unified party going forward. And don't nominate me. Don't vote for me. I I don't want to be the Speaker of the House because I don't have enough votes. There's not enough support for that. Let's all get behind Kevin McCarthy and let's make the best of the moment that we're in and do the best job that we possibly can. We need to be unified to do that. Matt Gaetz's point 
is basically Kevin McCarthy is not the solution. He's the problem. And if he presents himself as the solution, it's disingenuous. And I think that reflects the view of all of the Republicans who voted against and have so far uh, torpedoed McCarthy's efforts to become the next Speaker of the House of Representatives, that McCarthy represents the status quo, a reinforcement of the status quo. I know Donald Trump has weighed in on this as well, saying that Republicans need to not turn their victory uh, this past election, their regaining of the House of Representatives into a defeat. I am undecided on what to think of this, honestly, because on the one hand, I say, yes, there's a pragmatic argument to be made for everyone getting on the same page, moving forward together. But then being on the same page, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a change of the status quo. If getting on the same page means continuing on with the status quo as it has been, uh, Jim Jordan's bringing up the omnibus uh, spending package. He's also talking about hey, let's stand firm on legislation that we believe is correct. And if Chuck Schumer in the Senate won't take it up, if Joe Biden won't sign it, well, then that's what it is. But we're going to stand firm and we're not going to rubber stamp what the Senate run by the Democrats or what the White House run by the Democrats once. We're not going to rubber stamp that. That's not a plan for success. That is a terrible idea. What they've already rammed through has already been disastrous. It is hurting us. It's going to hurt us for quite some time to come. Enough is enough. Jim Jordan is right. And I think he is doing the noble thing. I think he's showing more character, demonstrating more character by nominating somebody else, not nominating himself, not arguing in his own defense. That's probably more reason to vote for him, actually, and to not listen to him. I would like to see the Republicans coalesce around somebody who's got the right principles and is not going to just give the Democrats what they want. As I said here recently to some of my friends privately, with Republicans like the ones that we have voting for the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, but it's actually the Disrespect for Marriage Act, with Republicans like we've had here recently voting for this omnibus spending package, $1.75 trillion dollars in new spending with Republicans like those who needs Democrats. And so if the status quo is going to be more of that, we can't, we, we can't afford it. And a divided Republican party would be better than a Republican party that unifies behind giving the Democrats what they want and calling that bipartisanship, just giving what the Democrats want slower is a bad, bad, bad idea. Why even vote for Republicans if they're just going to give the Democrats what they want. But, I don't know who can say what the outcome of this will be. It is very interesting. It is very curious. And uh, it, it's in no way certain what the outcome will be to my way of thinking. I personally, if I were <laughs> in a position to vote, uh, I would vote for the gentleman from Ohio. That would be my recommendation because I like what he has to say. McCarthy might be a nice guy. He might have some good ideas. He might know how to get things done. But at the same time, if the things he knows how to get done involve compromise after compromise, that just seems like that's more of the dirty game that we've seen too much of and that people like myself who have lived in Ohio and Montana and now Colorado are hurt by, our families are hurt by 
giving the Democrats what they want. It is bad for the country. It's bad for our posterity. It's bad for our liberty. It's bad for our economy. It's bad for our reputation, both at home and abroad, for generations to come. It needs to stop. But more on that as the story develops, as the situation unfolds. For right now, we're going to move on to a mega thread (laughs) of all the hate the media and the status quo elites in politics and in culture spewed about the unvaxxed. And that is uh, a close quote, not a direct quote of a post from Harris Rigby over at Not The Bee from yesterday. Michael P. Sanger has uh, put together a mega thread looking at the demonization uh, and uh, hatred of people like me who said, no, under no circumstances will I get the vaccine for COVID. Will I have my family get the vaccine for COVID? This is wrong. This is dangerous. I'm more worried about the potential risks of getting the vaccine than I am the potential risks of getting COVID. That goes also especially all the more for my wife and for my children. But Michael P. Sanger, he has it uh, cataloged here and he's got the receipts. Here's a sign in the first tweet that's highlighted. No shoes, no shirt, no shot, no entry, get vaccinated. Some business was basically telling potential customers, if you don't have the vaccine, don't bother. Don't show up. Uh, we don't want to service you and you're not welcome. But then also there's article after article after article talking about how people who are so-called anti-vaxxers who didn't want to get the COVID vaccine because they were concerned about the safety and also the principle of the thing that this is tyranny, right? This is tyranny. And also I'm not so sure this is a safe thing to do just from a health standpoint, whether you were trying to coerce me, threatening my livelihood, threatening my ability to travel or associate with who I will associate with, you know, it, the, the articles were a flowing for the last two plus years. There were articles after articles after articles uh, written about how the unvaccinated maybe should not be treated if they go to the hospital. In fact, actually, there was a a gal here in Greeley who went to the hospital because she was really, really sick. And she was asked before she would be, you know, admitted as she was trying to check in, have you been vaccinated? And I can't remember if it was a doctor or if it was a nurse basically just walked out on her and said, well, I'm not going to treat you. I'm not going to serve you because she hadn't been vaccinated. But more than just saying, yeah, you know, I'm not going to serve you, uh, even from the healthcare community or the medical community, you had intellectuals or commentators or politicians or celebrities basically entertaining the idea that the unvaccinated, they should just die. They deserve it. They are putting other people at risk. We have no sympathy for them. They should uh, basically just get COVID. I hope they get COVID and I hope they die and I won't feel anything. I won't feel any remorse, any sadness for them at all. I'm so angry with them. I hate them so much for what they have decided to do or to not do as the case may be. Uh, You you know, they have it coming. Uh, Colorado Newsline published some commentary, for instance, should the unvaccinated be denied healthcare? And the subtitle here as screenshotted and highlighted is as 
Hospitals reach capacity. The ethics of who is prioritized in triage gets murky. Uh, did it really get murky or uh, was this a, uh, a partisanship, an animus for one another on the basis of what was perceived to be a political difference? What I mean being it was perceived that more conservative Republican types were not getting the shot and it was felt that, hey, here's the chance for them to just die off. And the vaccinated who are more likely to be trusting the government, relying on the government, depending on the government for everything, voting for bigger and bigger government for everything, uh, they will survive. They will continue on and the future will be the better for it. Uh, Pierce Morgan, for instance, agreed back in 2021, July 27th, 2021. And I quote, those who refuse to be vaccinated with no medical reasons not to should be refused NHS care if they then catch COVID. I'm hearing of anti-vaxxers using up ICU beds in London at vast expense to the taxpayer. Let them pay for their own stupidity and selfishness, which is just code for they should die. They should die and they have it coming. David Frum tweeted out December 12th, 2021, two weeks from Christmas. Seems the best option is one, keep encouraging vaccines and boosters. Two, impose vaccine mandates where it can be done. Three, otherwise return to normal as fully as we can, especially the schools. And four, let hospitals quietly triage emergency care to serve the unvaccinated last. And the curious thing here is, you know, particularly in the case of the gal that we knew here locally who went into the hospital, she was very, very sick. She wasn't sick with COVID. She was sick with something else when she went in. They were still saying, oh, we don't want to serve you, right? So you could be sick with anything. You could have any kind of an emergency. It could be an accident. And if these people had their way to the extent that they had their way, because it wasn't just talked about, they were doing it to the extent that they had their way, we potentially have excess deaths that were because of neglect, because of people having just been left to die. They went to get care and they weren't vaccinated. And so, well, it's your own fault. Here's an article from David Frum, at least the uh, headline and the subtitle. Vaccinated America has had enough. In the United States, this pandemic could be almost over by now. The reasons it's still going are pretty clear. And that is to say, it was the fault of the unvaccinated. Now, Michael P. Singer, yesterday, one of his tweets he says, shockingly, this bizarre idea of triaging emergency care based on vaccination status is still being proposed to this day. And he's got a highlighted article that I can't read from doi.org talking about intensive care unit triage and giving COVID-19 patients uh, unequal priority. Now, they ask the question, is it fair to give equal priority? But really what they're saying is in question form that... Uh, it, it is unfair to give them equal priority. And what would be more proper would be to give uh, <laughs> intensive care unit uh, higher priority to those who went and got the vaccine. Now, the curious thing is, from my standpoint, if the vaccine works so great, well, then why do you have the vaccinated uh, in the intensive care unit? Right. What's up with that? If it works so well, then uh, why are you in the ICU? Why are you in the ER? But of course, it's come out that it won't keep you from infection and it won't keep you from dying if you get it. 
and uh, actually, I think anymore, there are more legitimate concerns and questions among many that the vaccinated are the most at risk. The, the excess deaths are increasingly those who are vaccinated, not those who were unvaccinated. The ones who remained unvaccinated may have done American society and the world a much bigger favor than those who went and got the vaccination, regardless of intentions, regardless of whether somebody thought they were protecting a loved one or the public, doing the right thing, obeying the authorities, regardless of that, those who said no may be the actual future here. Rasmussen poll, this also from Harris Rigby yesterday at Not The Bee. Rasmussen poll, nearly half of Americans believe the COVID jab caused unexplained deaths. And a third, hear that, a third of Democrats think they know someone it killed. Not COVID, but the COVID vaccine. A third of Democrats think they know someone killed by, who died due to, the COVID vaccine. And here's the test. Here's the test for whether our media and our politicians and our bureaucrats are are really being above board and honest here. Are they counting deaths with COVID vaccine the same way that they counted deaths with COVID? That is to say, deaths with COVID, if somebody died of any cause whatsoever early on in the so-called pandemic, and they tested positive for COVID, they were counted as a COVID death. The same logic is not being applied to those who die with COVID vaccination. The opposite logic is being applied. If they died due to, and I quote, myocarditis or heart attack or strokes due to blood clots, If they die due to that and they happened to have the COVID vaccine, well, then let's just not talk about that. You're a conspiracy theory. Uh, That's a dangerous thing. This is probably Russian misinformation. You are just a puppet of Vladimir Putin and uh, you're a racist, right? And if that doesn't work, well, then we'll just suspend your account, apparently, because (laughs) the CIA and the FBI and the NSA and... All the rest work for Twitter and Facebook now and Google. But this is a this is a fascinating, fascinating report from Rasmussen. Here's the tweet from January 2nd, 8.31 a.m. Died suddenly? More than one in four think someone they know died from COVID-19 vaccines. And the, the art here for their post on Twitter which I appreciate Harris Rigby making uh, uh, visible and available over at Not The Bee because I still am not back on. I am probably somebody who was flagged by uh, Democrats in the deep state and the government and <laughs> all the rest uh, for silencing. But I still, I still can't get back on. Apparently, I'm a Russian agent or whatever. But the art here is a graveyard. It's a kind of a cartoonish uh, comic strip style, far side style, uh, you know, piece of art of a graveyard with stones, you know, headstones, gravestones, what have you. And the name on each one of the gravestones is coincidence. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. They all say coincidence. 
It was all just a coincidence. Boy, howdy, is that quite the statement. Now, here's a quote. Here's a quote. The latest Rasmussen Reports National Telephone and Online Survey finds that 49% of American adults believe it is likely that side effects of COVID-19 vaccines have caused a significant number of unexplained deaths, including 28% who think it's very likely, 37% don't say a significant number of deaths have been caused by vaccine side effects, including 17% who believe it's not at all likely, another 14% are not sure. And I would say this fairly closely reflects voting patterns as well. 37% say they don't believe a significant number of deaths have been caused by vaccine side effects. 17% say not at all likely. 14%, I don't know. Another quote, 28% of adults say they personally know someone whose death they think may have been caused by side effects of COVID-19 vaccines, while 61% don't, and another 10% are not sure. More Democrats, 85%, than Republicans, 63%, or those not affiliated with either major party, 64%, have been vaccinated against COVID-19. More Republicans, 60%, than Democrats, 44%, or the unaffiliated, 43%, think there are legitimate reasons to be concerned about the safety of COVID-19 vaccines. However, there is less political difference in the number who suspect someone they know might have died from vaccine side effects. 33% of Democrats and 26% of both Republicans and the unaffiliated. Yes, you heard that right. More Democrats, more Democrats than Republicans or independents think they may know someone who died from vaccine side effects. I suppose that makes sense if more Democrats than Republicans or independents actually got vaccinated. I suppose that makes sense. Very, very curious. In other news, from Wolfgang Ramsey over at Not The Bee, you'll understand why big companies have gone woke after you read this fascinating thread about Coca-Cola and the DC swamp. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but just suffice to say, Cali Means talks, uh, again, on Twitter, because that is the public square, which I'm excluded from, by the way. And who knows how many other Americans have been excluded for ridiculous reasons. But Callie Means says that she worked for Coca-Cola early in her career to ensure that sugar taxes failed and that soda was included in food stamp funding. She says, in no uncertain terms, Coke policies are evil And that Coca-Cola gave money to the NAACP and the Hispanic Federation in exchange for them helping Coca-Cola to defeat these measures and also label racist anybody who was uh, a threat. Anyone who was trying to get the sugar taxes and uh, keeping soda from being included in food stamp funding. So there's that. Right. And if that's why these big companies have gone woke, many of them is they realize that going woke is something that they can do in addition to donating money to special interest groups 
uh, social justice active uh, groups in exchange for those groups going after the competitors. Well then, boy howdy, uh, what you have is a very mercenary equation. You have a very mercenary and very uh, evil, very dishonest arrangement. Uh, all to do what? To make money, right? Callie Means continues on with her tweeting, people saying that restricting soda from SNAP funding is paternalistic or an assault on personal choice are unwittingly doing the work of the soda companies. You can't have a free market if that market is rigged, which is very true. That is very, very uh, important for us to think on when we hear socialists talking about how the free market has failed and capitalism is uh, to blame for this, that, and the other thing. This is not a free market. It's not. This is special interests, corporations, putting money into races and giving money to activist groups, you know, basically to do their bidding and encouraging very often regulation of their competitors so as to drive them out of the market, right? Not because they think this or that regulation is in the public good, but because this regulation will give them a competitive advantage. They've already prepared to keep up with that regulation. And if they're the ones who are prepared and all their competitors aren't, and they can get that regulation passed, even though it's regulation of their industry, if they're ready for it, they can create advantages for themselves relative their peers until it's just them. And it all is under the guise of this or that is FDA approved or what have you. The government said this is safe, and therefore, I should go with this route. I, I, I should go this route. I should go with this company. I should go with their product. I should pay for their service. It, it's dirty. It's dirty, dirty. Now, here's a highlighted tweet from the New York Post from March 5th, 2021. 90% of COVID deaths occur in countries with high obesity levels. So this is to say that actually you know, a, a diet high in sugar – has made people more susceptible to dying of COVID. Now, why that wasn't the first thing our public health officials and medical experts targeted encouraging people to eat and drink less sugar, even while they were trying to mandate a vaccine that had not been sufficiently tested, mandating masks, mandating lockdowns, social distancing, et cetera, et cetera. You know, why, why not start with a, hey guys, lay off the sugar. If you are obese, then maybe you need to stay home and lay off the sugar. Why, why didn't they start there? Well, because there's a lot of money invested in giving people sugar and keeping them addicted to sugar. And good luck scaling it back. You know, my wife here recently has been trying to just stop eating sugar entirely and see if that improves her health. She has health problems. She wants to see if that helps. And she's not feeling better yet, but she is really craving sugar. And it's hard because there's sugar in everything. There's sugar added to everything to make it taste good. And I think sometimes to cover up for the fact that it lacks nutritional quality and it lacks uh, freshness. Let's just put sugar into it and we'll eat it like we're so much livestock, just being fed and fattened and lived off of, essentially. But this makes sense of, you know, their anti-racist training over at Coca-Cola and the anti-racist training that other companies 
have had the screenshot from a slide in the HR be less white uh, <laughs> training says to be less white is to be less oppressive, be less arrogant, be less certain, be less defensive. That is to say, part of the push here for social justice and critical race theory, a big part of the push has been from these corporations that realized this is a way for them to get in on that identity politics action that Democrats have been exploiting for decades. Make everyone else who's not you seem like a racist so that the folks who are susceptible to that will buy your product, even if it kills them. I think here of a J.R.R. Tolkien quote, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the Fellowship of the Ring, we have this quote that we do well to consider with regards to the reputation of politicians, political parties, corporations, foods even. You know, you eat a food and it's sweet and it tastes good. Is it good for you? Or is it maybe making you really sick? Take a look, double check. And meanwhile, folks who say, I cannot abide by this, I'm not going along with it, they might look like they have lost their minds. They're very confused. Oh, get out of here with that. No, 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 no. Now, wait a second, though. What if they're trying to help you to not be taken in by fool's gold? And this is something to be said for conservatives is when we have old books, tried and true traditions, a love for God's word, we have a safety against people alive now who have a vested interest to potentially exploit us or our loved ones. That's what Tolkien is getting at, I think, when he says deep roots are not reached by the frost. Something like that. Your ideals, your principles, if those are true, well, then they are able to survive the winter in a way that people who are just chasing the next shiny object all the time are not able to endure. From the ashes of fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring, renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. Great stuff from Tolkien. This is why we should read some fiction, I think, by the way. But speaking of, you know, things maybe being restored after the winter, a new day dawning or a new spring, Ron DeSantis was just sworn in as governor again for a new term in Florida. And here are some highlights. I want to share with you some really great highlights, again, from Not The Bee. You can tell I was reading quite a lot of Not The Bee. They had a lot of good stuff the past day. Take a listen to some of these highlights from his speech, and then we'll talk. We said we would ensure that Florida taxed lightly, regulated reasonably, and spent conservatively, and we delivered. We promised we would enact big education reforms, and we delivered. We said we would end judicial activism by appointing jurists who understand the proper role of a judge is to apply the law as written, not legislate from the bench, and we delivered. 
We promise to usher in a new era of stewardship for Florida's natural resources by promoting water quality and Everglades restoration efforts, and we delivered. We need to enact record tax relief, particularly for Florida families who are grappling with inflation. We must ensure school systems are responsive to parents and to students, not partisan interest groups. And we must ensure that our institutions of higher learning are focused on academic excellence and the pursuit of truth, not the imposition of trendy ideologies. Florida was a refuge of sanity, a citadel of freedom for our fellow Americans and even for people around the world. In captaining the ship of state, we choose to navigate the boisterous sea of liberty rather than cower in the calm docks of despotism. We will stand firm in the faith. We will be courageous. We will be strong. And we thank God and are proud to be citizens of the great free state of Florida. Thank you. God bless you. God bless this state and everybody throughout the land. That sounds great. That sounds great. I, it's good. It, you know, it, to some extent, it, it can be easy to be cynical these days and to hear what is being said in a speech and to roll one's eyes or shrug and wonder how much of this is just a politician being a politician, right? DeSantis is a politician. He is the governor, but he is also potentially in the runnings for being president of the United States. Uh, maybe he runs in 2024. And if he does, maybe he wins. If he runs and he wins, well, then he has to communicate why you would uh, want him to be president. You know, if, if he's running, he needs to communicate why you should vote for him. If he wins, he needs to communicate why you should support what it is that he's promoting. He's trying to persuade you. He's trying to win you over. That's not anything wrong. The big question is whether what is being said is true, whether what is being promoted is good. And, uh, you know, to my way of thinking, everything I'm seeing, everything I'm hearing, it, it looks really solid. Now, other uh, details could emerge as we go and probably will, whether those details mean that he's not a good choice or that this is just the same old, same old, uh, time will tell, right? It, it's just like with the votes in the House of Representatives for who's going to be the Speaker of the House. Time will tell as the thing unfolds and as we find out more, then you know maybe we develop a different opinion. Maybe my mind changes. I don't see it changing at this point. And I think that there's enough of a track record here that I can say what he is communicating in his speech is also what matches reality. Florida was a beacon of sanity through COVID. They did do a very courageous thing. As the third most populous state in the U.S., they did a very courageous thing standing up to the Walt Disney Company when Disney was promoting LGBTQ plus indoctrination of children through programming and through the education system. 
and still is, you know, promoting it through their media empire, but did not successfully torpedo Ron DeSantis and the Republicans in Florida when they were passing legislation to protect Florida school children. That took a lot of guts, and that's not just a talking point. It's one thing to say, we will do this thing. It's quite another to actually do it. If you do the thing, and then you say, hey, you see what I did there? And you see the results? These results are looking really positive. Well, then that's not just business as usual. And I don't think we should shrug at that. I don't think we should roll our eyes at that. I don't think we should look for ways to be apathetic and withhold our support or endorsement. Unless something changes, he's got my vote if he runs, and I hope that he does run. I hope that he does run because we need this in the leadership of our country. We don't need more of the shrugging and the cutting of the deal or just whining and complaining. Actually get stuff done. You know, is it so much better? Tell me this. Is it so much better to just whine and complain and be depressed? Is that so much better than cutting a deal? Because whether actively or passively, if you're supporting the status quo by not stopping it, by not resisting, by not promoting a better thing, arguing for a better thing, calling for repentance, if if you're supporting the status quo actively or passively, you're part of the problem and, and, and you are culpable. And we do get consequences as a people and as individuals. I don't think we should be looking for ways looking for reasons to be apathetic and indifferent. I'm actually quite convinced that we ought not to, that that would be a great evil for us to grow weary in doing what is good and to grow so cynical that we don't believe that anybody else is actually doing any good ever at all. And if they are, it's not going to amount to anything. So we might as well not support it. We might as well not cheer it on. No, no. What is it the Philippians says? What is it that Paul says in his letter to the church at Philippi? Whatever things are good, honorable, true, praiseworthy, commendable, excellent, think on these things. And so if we have examples of people doing the right thing, let's not be naive. Let's not get ahead of ourselves and be foolish and be overly trusting. Again, the Tolkien quote, not all that glitters is gold. But here's the thing. Gold does glitter. Right? Gold is a thing that glitters. And if somebody hands you <laughs> a suitcase full of gold bars, you don't say, well, okay, some things are not gold, therefore I'm not going to take it. What you do is you say, hey, thanks. <laughs> and you, you take it before they change their mind and before they take it back. You know, If it is actually gold and it's not a bribe, uh, you take it because uh, you, know, you can do a lot with that gold. But going back to Proverbs, you know, here's the thing. <clears throat> the poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. And so I think we need to remember who it is that is actually most harmed when you hear a debate back and forth about rights in this country or the infringement of rights. The fact that there even needs to be a debate and that there is an effort being made at persuasion, I think speaks to who has the upper hand? I don't think we see the folks like myself concerned about inflation, concerned about the violation of rights to free speech, free association, freedom of religion. I don't think you see us being the rich who answer roughly. I think you see us trying to entreat 
our countrymen. When we lose the ability to, uh, you know, try and persuade because we're silenced or because we're so discouraged, it's half a dozen of one and six of the other. And both ways, it's to a bad end. And I think, I think that we should consider how a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. We should consider that and what its implications are for our individual choices and for our destiny as a people, our fate as a people. What is coming down the pike? Where are we headed? What comes next? I also think that a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great And therefore, it can be a good thing, not just politics and not a bribe, but it can be a good thing for gifts to be given that demonstrate goodwill, good faith, and for you to consider, are these good gifts? And is this towards the end of increasing the purity of justice and the truth of our expressions? And if it is, well then, say thank you. Uh, Also, too. Proverbs 18.1, the very first here, whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. To isolate ourselves may sometimes seem the only wise response to the fact that, hey, you know, a, a lot of your friends or you thought they were friends are fair weather. And when trouble comes, it turns out they were just acquaintances. But if you isolate yourself You might not just be minding your own business. You might be very selfish. You might be actually part of the problem, part of what's going wrong in this country. If your idea of conservatism, for instance, is not just to mind your own business, but to care not a lick what happens to anyone else, what happens to future generations of your posterity, your children, your grandchildren, God willing, what happens to your neighbor, well, then you are in disobedience to Proverbs 31, 1 through 9, where Lemuel's mother, King Lemuel's mother, tells him to open your mouth for those whose rights are being trampled on. Those who are mute, they can't speak for themselves. They've been silenced. They've been censored. They've been threatened. Those who are destitute, those who are poor, those who are needy, speak up, open up your mouth so that their justice is served. They are protected. They are restored. Speak up. The first to state his case seems correct until the other comes and examines him. You know what that means to me in this context? It means that if only one side has been speaking and silencing the other side, the answer cannot be silence if the first to state his case is wrong, actually. The answer has to be to correct what is not true to open your mouth, like Proverbs 31 says, like Lemuel's mother taught him. But moving on, speaking of opening your mouth, speaking up, speaking on behalf of those who are having their rights infringed, let's talk about the 11th and 12th installments of the Twitter files. Matt Taibbi released the 11th Tuesday afternoon, cataloging how U.S. intelligence agencies got so involved in the day-to-day decisions at Twitter about who was allowed to speak and who was not on that platform. 
essentially the internal dialogue was a carrot and stick approach where U.S. intelligence, if it didn't get the action from Twitter that it wanted in accounts being suspended or else terminated, banned on the claim that they might be involved somehow, some way with Russian misinformation, Russian propaganda, then intelligence agencies, the U.S. intelligence agencies would go to the media to try and apply pressure on Twitter. Democrat senators would hold press conferences like Mark Warner, then ranking member on the Senate Intelligence Committee. They would hold press conferences claiming that Twitter had a Russian misdis and malinformation problem. And so then essentially what Twitter did was they scrambled to give the intelligence agencies whatever they wanted, whoever they wanted, censored, silenced, that person, that group, that organization got uh, got censored and suppressed. And this is what Jim Jordan was speaking to in his speech from yesterday when he said that we need to investigate and clean house with bureaucrats who think that they really run the country. They don't recognize or respect elected government officials. In fact, they actively meddle in who will be the elected officials or won't by censoring news, accurate information about who is running and who gets elected. So essentially, it was Russia, 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 not just with Trump. The line we were sold from Democrats and the deep state and the media was that Trump was a Russian plant. He was a puppet of Vladimir Putin. And they used that pretext as an excuse to target him and anyone associated with him during his campaign, during his time as president, and even since, so that they would get their way and he would not be able to do anything to stop them, curtail them, find them out, thwart their agenda, which is not national security, strictly speaking. It's the whole kit and caboodle, highly partisan, very much interested in the status quo as they see it, as they want it to be. And as such, they didn't just do it to Trump. They also did it to folks like you and me. I mean, they did it to you and me indirectly, at least when they went after conservative voices that we would have benefited from hearing, that we would have benefited from hearing. But they did it to you and me, too, if we were those voices trying to participate in the public discourse, in the public debate, in the public square. I mean, essentially, if you aren't a concern to these people, then you're probably not making much of a difference, as I see it. You're probably not actually participating in the public discourse if they're not worried about you. And if they're going after you, and it is partisan, and it is actually a hostility towards conservative Americans, God and country, Republican-type Americans, because supposedly Russian propaganda. Now, why would Russian propaganda have anything whatsoever to do with looking into whether COVID came from a lab in Wuhan, China? That I can't quite tell you, except if it was Dr. Fauci's NIH, NIAID, 
that was funding the gain-of-function research, subsidizing it. But even there, this was under the watchful eye of China. And so it would seem to me as though China had as much to lose, has as much or more to lose in the lab leak theory or the bioweapon speculation that China has as much or more to lose as the U.S. government or bureaucracies in the U.S. government or the deep state or the Democratic Party, however you want to put it. But see, then we start to get really down to what the real issue is. The real issue is not that this was a threat to national security, but that this was a threat to the security of the deep state, which sees itself as national security. I am the state, like King Louis Fourteenth famously said, or is alleged to have said, April 13th, 1655, I am the state. They think they are the nation. And I think they've forgotten their first love, if they ever really loved America itself and not just their idea of America, their vision for America. They love their vision for America, maybe, but when they deprive Americans of their free speech, liberty, their rights, then I say they are not protecting national security. And no amount of claiming Russian misdis and malinformation can change that fact. I'm not a Russian pot. I'm from Glendive, Montana. I've never even lived outside of the country. But if I look at Matt Taibbi's 17th tweet here from 1.27 p.m. yesterday. He says, Twitter's search finding only two significant accounts, one of which is Russia Today, go figure, was based on the same data that later inspired panic headlines like, quote, Russian influence reached 126 million through Facebook alone, end quote. Taibbi noted, and this is from the article at the Daily Wire, pressure from Democrats who were sore over Donald Trump's election victory forced the company to change its tune on its, quote, Russia problem, end quote, so the company could avoid, quote, costly legislation, end quote, and more bad press. And this reminds me of, and Republicans do it too, and they have to stop. This is not lawful in a God's law sort of a way to just threaten random legal action, lawfare, legislation, regulation against somebody if they start communicating something you don't like or you disagree with. I remember Senator Lindsey Graham did this with regards to Elon Musk publicly, mind you, when Musk started suggesting that maybe Russia and Ukraine should make a deal with land for peace. Maybe us being on the verge of World War III is not such a good idea. Maybe you guys should uh, you know, negotiate an end to these hostilities. Lindsey Graham went on Twitter and replied to Elon Musk saying, hey, that's a nice car company you got there. It'd be a shame if we needed to take a closer look at regulations concerning it. And it was thuggish. It was thuggish and not free market principles. But quietly or publicly, it doesn't matter. When the U.S. government particularly with unelected bureaucrats, uses that threat of regulation in a thuggish way to coerce private corporations 
into censoring people that our U.S. government just doesn't agree with, doesn't like what they're saying domestically, and also makes the false accusation against some people that they are foreign agents without any evidence whatsoever, except the echo chamber of their own imaginations and their wish casting. And yes, sometimes even just outright abject dishonesty. That is not politics as usual. That is evil. That is evil. That is an evil, evil thing. And it has to stop. It has to stop. The 12th installment, Matt Taibbi released yesterday afternoon, the 12th installment of the Twitter files documents still more the relationship between government agencies and Twitter. And here we find that the FBI came to be referred to as the belly button, the belly button. Now, what's that about? Basically, and here, because we're coming up against when I need to go and conclude this episode, I'll just briefly mention a certain agent, Elvis Chan, who suggested that the industry could rely on the FBI, and this is a direct quote, rely on the FBI to be the belly button of the USG, meaning U.S. government, USG, and according to the Daily Wire's reporting, meaning it would get the information from Twitter and distribute it to other agencies as it saw fit. So in other words, the FBI would show up, the DHS would show up as sole conduits for the USG and its interface with Facebook and Twitter. In other words, the middleman. We will tell Facebook and Twitter what to suppress, what to allow, quietly, behind the scenes, privately. And in this way, I say to the small government types, the folks who think that we could potentially get back to more of a free market economy if folks like me weren't saying it's wrong, it's wicked what big tech has been doing. They say, well, these are private companies. These are private corporations. We don't want to get into regulating them, telling them what to do, what they can't do, what they can do. That's not what we are about. That's not who we are as conservatives. And I say, when big tech acts as a proxy for the deep state of the United States government, unelected bureaucrats just deciding whether you or I should be allowed to speak and other people hear us, we're already (laughs) way down the road from the free market. That ship has sailed. This is not a free market. These are not private corporations anymore. They are proxies for the U.S. government. This is, in other words, our U.S. government violating the First Amendment rights, the First Amendment rights of American citizens on everything from COVID policy to the war in Ukraine. Whatever disagrees with them is supposedly a threat to national security. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. This is unconstitutional. They, by acting this way, become arguably the greatest threat to American national security. Because what kind of a nation are we if our constitution counts for nothing? Are we even a nation? Are we even a country? I don't don't even know what that makes us. A little better than serfs, it seems. Moving on. Zach Jewell, this will be the last thing. Zach Jewell for the Daily Wire reported yesterday 
Beijing threatens countermeasures against countries requiring COVID tests for travelers from China. Super ironic because China was forcing its citizens to stay quarantined in their homes for as long as 100 days if they tested positive for COVID, which is to say the PRC, People's Republic of China, ruled by the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, definitely tests their own people before allowing their own people to travel internally within the country, even just outside their home. But the CCP, that same Chinese Communist Party, that same People's Republic of China, wants to threaten Japan, India, Canada, the US, the UK, France, and several other European countries if all of the above test travelers from China for COVID before allowing them into the country. This seems to me as though it is the present-day equivalent of smallpox blankets. And where are all of the people who want to say that America is this inherently racist country, this oppressive hellscape that needs to go, needs to be destroyed? Where are they when China is sending out its people who are COVID positive all over the world to try and infect other countries like smallpox blankets? Where, where are those people? They're so brave when it comes to speaking out against the United States of America. Where are they when it comes to speaking out against China and what China is doing right now? Not hundreds of years ago, maybe kind of sort of, if you take Howard Zinn's word for it, what China is doing right now. Where are those brave souls? They're curiously quiet. The best they can come up with is, oh, well, we're in no place to talk. We're no better. But see, that might be true of some of the institutions here in the U.S. that have been infiltrated by communists in the past century. Sure, the character of the American people doesn't want that. And if you want the character of the American people to be good, noble, virtuous, then I say join in the conservative pushback on totalitarianism. Heed the counsel of Lemwell's mother. Open your mouth for those who are destitute, those who are poor, those who are needy, those whose rights are being trampled on. Regard there as being such a thing as rights. It can't be the case that Proverbs 31, 1 through 9, where it talks of rights, is valid unless there is such a thing as rights. If there is no such thing as rights, or we should be indifferent about them, or we should just ask everybody to be like Jesus instead of speaking up on their behalf when their rights are being violated, well then I don't know what sense to make of Proverbs 31, 1 through 9. Maybe you can tell me. But like I said... That's all the time I've got for this episode. I gotta run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.